Hello, Mountain. How's everyone doing today? Great. Shout out to all of our friends over at the Edgewood campus meeting at the Epicenter. And to those gathered at our Bel Air campus over at the Arena Club this morning. Uh, Today we're continuing in our series entitled Off the Beaten Path. And we're taking a journey into the some of the more obscure, less common passages of Scripture that have just rich depths uh, and rich truths for us to uh, take a look at. And uh, so today, as we journey off the beaten path, uh, we're going to be exploring why we need to dust off our maps. You remember maps? Any of you? Uh, Maps uh, were those paper publications that couples would argue about in the car. You remember? Now, if you're a millennial or younger, you might not. So uh, they're sort of like a GPS, except they don't tell you where you are and they don't tell you where you're going. You have to figure that out all on your own, okay? But couples used to argue about these in the car, as you can see by this image. And usually it had something to do with the woman insisting that they stop and ask for directions because they were lost and the man refusing to do so, right? <laughs> that happened for you? Uh, So, true confessions, how many of you guys, when you're lost, struggle to stop and ask for directions? Show of hands. All right. There's some honesty there. Not as much as I thought. Um, So, let's ask it this way. How many of you women have a man in your life, husband, boyfriend, friend, or son, who, when they're lost, struggles to stop and ask for direction? Yeah, a few more hands go up there. Uh, Well, it's not just us. I think probably in the Old Testament, uh, there's some examples of this as well. Uh, God's people actually were wandering around in the desert for 40 years, and this cartoon may explain why. See, here's Moses, and he's saying, this way, follow me. And down here we read, after 39 and a half years of wandering in the desert, Mrs. Moses secretly asked for directions. (laughs) Yeah, it could have been. Uh, You know, there's been some research on this, though, and... When lost, more than one out of four men will wait at least a half an hour before they would stop and ask for directions. Amazing. And a stubborn 12% would refuse to ever ask a stranger for help. 40% of men polled said that even if they were to ask a stranger for directions, they wouldn't always trust them or follow them. While almost three-quarters of women have no problem stopping and asking for directions. Well, fortunately, today for us, uh, we don't have to unfold maps or argue with the navigator seated beside us. Uh, Now we have these satellite navigation systems, right? Uh, And maybe we'll argue back and forth with them, uh, but they're telling us where to go. Maybe, though, uh, after the fact, if we make a wrong turn, we'll blame it on the GPS, right? Watch this news story. Do not believe everything your GPS tells you. Case in point, a Canadian woman who followed hers right down a boat ramp into Lake Huron. She actually had to roll down her window quickly and was able to climb out of it and swim to shore. It was a dark, foggy night. And uh, that water, by the way, four degrees Celsius. Oh, yeah. Don't you hate when that happens? Don't you know it's wrong? But but maybe it's right. I don't know. Yeah, that's an extreme extreme version of it. (laughs) Well, must just be Canadians that would do that, right? Uh, Whether we're reading a map or stopping for directions or following a GPS, we better make sure that our source of information is trustworthy, right? Otherwise, we're going to be in real trouble. Maybe even end up in a lake. 
But even if it is, even if our, our source for directions is trustworthy, we have to be different from those, the 40% of the guys and say that we will be willing to follow it. We will be willing to apply it to our lives. Because having the resource at your fingertips, but wandering around lost or driving into lakes just doesn't make very much sense. The psalmist says that God's word gives us understanding to avoid the wrong paths, and then it provides light to guide our way. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were known as God's people, and they had a book that was unlike any other book that ever existed because it contained truths that the world had never encountered before. It said that instead of lots of little tribal gods that every group of people had, that there was one God who is holy and just and loving and good, and that he created all things and that this God is working to redeem all things. And this book is the story of God and the story of God's people. And this book helps God's people live a God-centered life. And God's people, the Israelites, well, they were, they were known as the people of the book. And to help his or her child learn this book, it was, it was every parent's greatest responsibility. To give you an example of how much this people loved this book, when a young man fell in love and wanted to be married, in order to ascertain whether this man was worthy of their daughter, the custom was that her family would give this wannabe groom a test on his knowledge of Scripture to see if he deserved their daughter in marriage. And the more desirable the girl was considered to be, the more intelligent and beautiful and wealthy, the higher the score he had to get on this test. It was the only educational system, you might say, where if you passed the test, you'd actually lose your bachelor's degree. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, The Israelites, they showed their reverence for God's word and their allegiance to God's word in a lot of different ways. Uh, These texts that they... Uh, that guided their lives and that helped them be the people of God had to be preserved, and they could not be lost. And so they went to great lengths to do so. Before there were ever kings in Israel, Moses said this to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 17. He said, when a potential king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of the law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. They were committed to this law, to following God's word, and even the kings were expected to to take this law and put it into practice. And the people knew that by preserving this book and keeping this book ever before them, that they would continue to be the people of God. And by living their lives according to this book, that they would experience the best life that God had for them. The psalmist wrote these words. He said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So as individuals and as a people, to be a growing, strong, fruitful tree, they would need to put their roots down deep into the soil of God's Word. And when we explore the history of God's people, when we we read through Scripture at the journey of the people of Israel, as their commitment to God and God's 
word would ebb and flow, would, would be what it needed to be and would get off course. As it would ebb and flow, so would the quality of their lives. Well, that gives us some of the background context as we journey off the beaten path today. If you got your Bible or your uh, iPad or iPhone and you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 18, we're going to be following along in the story there uh, and the chapters to follow. But we read about uh, one of the kings for God's people. His name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. Now, Hezekiah was one of the most famous, devout, godly kings of all the kings of Israel. And we would expect that any son or successor to King Hezekiah would follow the same map that Hezekiah followed because he was so successful. He was so revered. They knew that he followed after God's heart. But when Hezekiah's son Manasseh succeeded him as king in chapter 21 of 2 Kings, we read, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord arousing his anger. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood, get this, that he filled Jerusalem from end to end, besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So instead of following the same map as his father, we see uh, Manasseh charting his own course, and it just leads to a major train wreck for him and his people. So we come to Manasseh's son, Amon, and he succeeds Manasseh as king, and surely knowing the disaster of his father's journey, Amon is going to choose to follow in the path of his grandfather. He's going to follow that map. But instead, we read, continuing in verse 20, that Amon did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshiped and bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. So here we have two lost generations following the great King Hezekiah. Two lost generations that followed this very devoted, God-fearing king. And now we have this kingdom that's on a path to destruction when Amon's son Josiah becomes king. And we can only assume that Josiah is going to just ignore God's map and instead follow after his father and grandfather on a pathway towards destruction. 2 Kings 22, we pick up the story. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, very young, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And so the first point for us to consider today is we are influenced, but we're not controlled by our past or our family of origin. Josiah's father and grandfather both led God's people away from God. They led them into idolatry, and they led them into child sacrifice and all sorts of evil. But Josiah, he, he was born into that same context, that same family heritage. We would have guessed that he would have just stayed the course. I mean, that's the excuse we use today, right? I'm this way because of my family. It's all I've ever known. It's how I grew up. I'm this way because of my past. 
try to make it seem like we don't have any choices. My grandfather came to the United States as an immigrant from Germany right before World War II. And he came from a family that at best were nominal Christians and they didn't really seek God or follow his word. And my dad grew up in New York City and he was part of a street gang and lived a pretty rough life and things didn't go so well in high school and he ended up dropping out and joined the Air Force. And he met my mom who was a strong Christian on a blind date and my dad could have stayed the course. I mean, he had a really rough background. His dysfunctional family was far from God. He could have stayed the course. But instead, like Josiah, he drove a stake in the ground and established a new direction for himself and for those that came after him to follow. So here's a picture of my dad and my brother and me. I'm the handsome one in the middle. That's my best side there. Um, You see, we're praying before bedtime one night. And just think about this. My dad never experienced that growing up. But today, all three of us are now pastors, and my dad's been a pastor for over 50 years. You see, we are, yeah. We are influenced, but we are not controlled by our past or our family of origin. And we see that Josiah, even as a very young king, He became king at the age of eight. He decides to chart a new course, and it began to seek after God. And after Josiah had been seeking God for 18 years as king, he discerns that it's now time to rebuild the temple. And he sent word to the chief priest to take the funds out of the treasury that had been collected from the people and to start using them to rebuild the temple that had fallen into ruin. And when the work began in verse 8, the high priest makes a startling discovery. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. God's word, God's word, the book of the law has been lost. Imagine that. The people of the book have had two successive generations of leaders who did not seek God or follow his word. And now we find the high priest, this high priest of God, stumbling across this lost book that's buried beneath the rubble of the temple. How in the world do we get to a place where these people who were so devoted to God and God's word, they were the people of the book. How do we get to the place where they've stopped seeking God to the point where they have lost God's word? It's hard to imagine. Or maybe it isn't so hard to imagine. Maybe some of us have lost the words of God in our lives as well. Maybe we realize even sitting here today that our maps have gotten a little dusty. According to George Gallup, two-thirds of the people in the United States could not tell you who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus, by the way. Fewer than half of us can name the first book of the Bible. It's Genesis. So we have fights today about whether or not we can name the Ten Commandments, but we can't even name the first book of the Bible. Now, 80% of us Christians, not the general public, 80% of us Christians believe the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. It isn't. Ben Franklin said it. 12% of people surveyed thought that Noah's Noah's wife's name was Joan of Arc. I (laughs) could... I kid you not. 
and 30% thought that the epistles were the wives of the apostles. Okay, that last one's not true. I thought it was funny, though. Um, so I wonder, this book, this book of God, people of the book, this book was lost. I wonder how this young king is going to respond to the discovery of God's word and it being read to him. So in verse 9, we read, Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Tore his robes, which was a sign of mourning and repentance before God. And he realized that the people were off course as God's people. They were no longer the people of the book. And that it was his responsibility as a leader, as their leader, to guide them back towards God. And there we see the first thing that happens when we begin to open our hearts and our lives to God's word. The first thing that happens is repentance. Our hearts begin to break and our hearts begin to soften so that God can do his work in our lives. But it all starts because we turn back towards him. That's repentance. So Josiah gives these orders to Hilkiah the priest in verse 12. He says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and some others went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who is the wife of Shalom. So get this, in this adult male-dominated society, to the point where women and kids were almost treated as possessions. God uses a boy king and a female prophet to lead the people of God to repentance. So I think we need to learn that God uses those who are faithful, regardless of age or gender. We just had 25 teenagers this past week who made the decision to follow Christ in baptism following a Christ in Youth Conference. 25. There's some of the pictures. God uses those who are faithful regardless of age or gender. Wouldn't it be awesome if we saw these young men and women used by God to lead their families and friends to follow God and his word more closely than they have before? God can do that because of their faithfulness. What about you? Maybe you've discounted yourself because of your stage of life or because of your gender or maybe for some other reason. And you need a reminder today that God uses those who are faithful. Don't eliminate yourself. Psalm 119 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We can immerse ourselves in God's word and through our faithfulness, God can use us. The prophetess Hulda, they come to her and she has kind words for the king, Josiah, but the future she prophesied for God's people, well, 
it was not as positive. They had been rebellious for far too long, and their repentance had come far too late. And we see that most likely the people obeyed the king, but probably didn't personally repent before God. The story continues in 2 Kings 23. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The priests and the prophets, all the people from the very least to the greatest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. And then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. You see, when we begin to read and open ourselves to God's word, God's going to use that to soften our hearts, and that's going to lead us to repentance. And we see this in the words of Psalm 19, where the psalmist says, The decrees of the Lord, they're, they're more precious than gold. They're much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By then, your servant is warned, and keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults, O God. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. God's word in your life will lead you to repentance. And once our hearts have been softened and turned back towards God, then we'll begin to reshape our lives. Our lives won't look the same because God's going to use his word to reshape them according to God's plan. And that's going to include eliminating bad behaviors and removing anything else in our lives that we have ever placed ahead of God or God's word. Back to 2 Kings 23. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley, and he took the ashes to Bethel. And then the entire rest of chapter 23, and it's a long chapter, consists of Josiah going throughout the land, removing all idolatry, removing all remnants of how the leaders and the people turn their hearts towards evil through idolatrous priests and male prostitutes in the temple and child sacrifices and mediums and spiritists, all a part of the people of God. So when your copy of God's map for your life becomes lost or dusty, what things have slowly shifted into first place in your life? Like Josiah, what idols do you need to start removing so that you can return your focus to seek after God? Now, we don't have many of the same shrines to some of the gods mentioned in the Josiah account, but even good things can become idols for us when they take the place of God's best for our lives. Maybe for you it's money or fame or politics or pleasure. Maybe it's your kids or your boyfriend or girlfriend or making straight A's or the promotion you've been seeking or redecorating your house or maybe you want to have the best lawn in the neighborhood. Anything that pushes God out of first place in our lives, friends, is an idol. And if you're not clear on what needs to be reshaped in your life, then immersing your, yourself in Scripture is the place to start, and God will show you. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul said, all Scripture is God-breathed. And look what it's useful for. 
in our lives, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word will reshape our lives. And after we have repented, and after God's word has started to reshape our lives, then we're also going to discover that it's going to refocus our worship. It's going to refocus our worship. Back to 2 Kings 23. The king Josiah gave this order to all the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. And neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, it's important to catch this, that the celebration that of the Passover was the celebration that most represented God's relationship with this people of Israel. It celebrated the fact that God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and it pointed in the future towards Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. Even though this Passover was probably one of the most central things to their faith, it was central to their identity as God's people. But as God's word began to lose influence in their lives and and eventually became lost amidst the rubble of the temple, even the Passover had become forgotten. Refocused worship, it flows out of our transformed hearts. And that's what happened for Josiah and the people. Because whether we worship here together or when we worship alone, we're more focused on God than what we believe is best for us. It's not about our personal preference. It's not about whether we like the music or the lights or the message or whatever. Worship is not about what we are getting, but what we are bringing. Refocused worship begins to flow out of hearts that are transformed by God's Word. So what about you today? Is your heart open to God's Word and God's will? Does God's Word, do you see that it leads you to repentance? Is it beginning to reshape your life as a result? Is your worship refocused because God's word has changed you? Or is God's word, has it become a dusty map? Or maybe it's even been lost from lack of use or lack of focus. In the book of Acts, we find this new little church, this little community of God's people that formed together and they Scripture tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because just like Josiah, they found that when they devoted themselves to this book, they came to know God, and God used this book to change them. And like this early group of believers, we want to be a people of the book because if we truly want to seek God, then we need to allow his word to penetrate our hearts and transform our lives. But to see that happen, we're going to need some more soap. Soap, S-O-A-P. First, we're going to need some scripture. We need to read God's word regularly. And maybe that's new for you. And so today we've got two different reading plans available for you as you leave. You can find them at guest services or at the Resource Center and also on our website, mountaincc.org series. And one of the reading plans is a 60-day overview of the Bible. And it's a great place to start if you're new to scripture. Just grab that 60-day reading plan. It'll give you a overview of the entire Bible. And the other reading plan is a chronological reading plan in which you, over the course of a year, can read through the entire Bible in the order that things actually occurred. So first, Scripture. 
Immerse yourself in it. Read it regularly. O is observation. Reflect on what does it really say. What does what was written mean for us today? Reflect on it. S for scripture, O for observation, A is for application. How does this apply to your life? We need to remember that it's, it's there to change our lives, to transform us, because God's goal is not for you to get all the way through scripture. God's goal is for the scriptures to get all the way through you. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Prayer, you take what you've read and what you've observed and what you're committing to apply into your life, you take all of that and commit it to God in prayer. We need more soap. S-O-A-P. And the point of reading Scripture is not for us to know to ourselves or to share with others that look how much we've read or look how much we know. The point is so God's kingdom can come down into our minds and our hearts and our lives. And there is nothing like this book for that. Ann Voskamp is an author and blogger, and she wrote this week that when there is an illiteracy of God's word, there is a warped reading of everything. And when there is a daily reading of God's word, then we can read all of the crazy of life. When you can read God, you read life, whatever comes your way. God's word is the only thing that never falls apart and holds us when we are falling apart. God's word never goes away, passes away, or falls away, but it is given to show us the way. God's words are the only words that create reality, that shape reality, that remake reality. God's word cannot be broken, but his word breaks idols, breaks darkness, and restores the brokenness in us. God's word, friends. And people who follow God closely are immersed in his word. Josiah, neither before nor after him was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the book. Josiah was a person of the book. So think about your devotion to the book and our devotion as a community to be a people of the book. And may it be like us, as the rabbis used to say, that we would read the book and know the book and love the book and do the book and live the book and die the book. Because just like Jesus, we are living lives that indicate that we are a people of the book. So may that be so in us. Let's pray together. Oh God, your word is life itself. Your words are sweeter than honey to our mouths. We gain understanding from your precepts, and as a result, we hate every wrong path. Your word truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. It is our only guide for life and for faith. May all of us, may each of us be people of the book. God, our hearts are yours. Our lives are yours. Would you do your work in us? And through Christ, the word become flesh, we pray.